Hey, it's Taylor from Free Lunch here. Before we get into today's episode, we are at the end of the year and we are doing a rating and review drive. So if you have enjoyed this year's episodes of Free Lunch, please head over to Apple or Spotify, leave a positive rating and review, take a screenshot or just let us know the name you left it under and then send it to me at taylor at readthepeak.com. And we will send three people who leave ratings and reviews a peak merch pack, including a cap, a tote bag, and a sweater. That's taylor at readthepeak.com. Thanks so much for listening this year. Really appreciate you all and appreciate your support in growing the show. Now on to the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Free Lunch by the Peak, the podcast where we talk to people way smarter than us about the most important topics in business, economics, and policy. I'm your co-host, Taylor Scollin. And I'm Sarah Ratninka. So Sarah, we've done a couple episodes now on industrial policy and the sorts of things that governments are doing to try to grow the economy or shape the economy or change the direction of the economy. And you know, you were pointing out before we recorded uh, just now that I don't think there's been a period in our lifetimes, at least, where governments have been as involved as they are today in trying to grow clean tech, trying to go grow clean energy sectors, that those sorts of parts of the economy that are important for other efforts, uh, you know, semiconductors. It's a whole array of things that governments are now trying to uh, not get their hands into, but try to foster growth in. Yeah, like it's a, it's a slippery slope for us because we're just going to become that industrial policy podcast. But like at the same time, it is such a pressing issue right now and it's for sure dominating the headlines. And I don't think it's too far of a reach to say that governments do kind of have their hands in a lot of different areas. They've been really vocal about their areas of focus and specifically industries that they want to get behind. And I think me and you and a lot of people are interested in, you know, learning a little bit about what's behind that strategy and where it kind of takes us over the short term. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if you want to dig a little bit deeper on like the broader strokes, industrial policy stuff, then I would recommend our episode with uh, Rekha Yuhash. That was, I don't know, two or three months ago. That was really great. But today we have uh, someone on the pod who has firsthand experience in government dealing with business and trying to attract them to do business in uh, Ontario. Minister Vic Fideli is the Minister of Economic Development, Job Creation and Trade in Ontario. And he has been at the forefront of a number of uh, major deals between the province and uh, EV makers, battery makers. So he's here to talk to us about all of that today. Minister Vic Fideli, thank you for joining us on Free Lunch. Thank you very much. It's great. Where's the lunch? I know. We, we really need we to work in the lunch. lunch. Yeah, we're, it's kind of a false <laughs> promise that we're making here. <laughs> so I, I want to start with uh, a question that I guess is, is pretty basic, but I think it's important that we cover it. Your official title is Minister of Economic Development, Job Creation, and Trade. Yes. Uh, but I saw Steve Pakin describe you a, a better title, I think, which is Chief Sales Rep for Ontario Inc. I like that a little bit more. But what does it actually mean in practice? How do you go out and sell a province? Yeah, it's uh, first of all, thanks for having me today. It's great to see both of you. Um, I think Pakin had it right. Uh, you know, I've known Steve a long, long time, and he knows me as a sales guy. And I think that's really what we do uh, is 
I'm out there selling Ontario, and I know the premier teases me. Uh, you know, I sit beside him and he'll say, what are you doing here, buddy? You're not selling anything when you're here. And, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree with him that uh, in order to, uh, um, you know, move Ontario forward, I've got to be out there doing the sales job. And that's what we do. I think I was in maybe 15 countries this year um, uh, with preset meetings uh, at uh, companies all literally all over the world trying to tell the story of Ontario. I, I, if you don't mind, I just want to start with kind of the end of the story because it's really fascinating. No matter what country we're in, no matter what company we're visiting, almost unscripted, these uh, organizations, these groups, these uh, uh, businesses are saying to us, you know, in this very tumultuous world right now, we have COVID, post-COVID, still not quite over. A lot of companies still haven't recovered. Countries haven't recovered. It's a lot of turmoil, a lot of uncertainty. And you layer on top of that Russia's illegal war in Ukraine and how that's complicated things and made it a lot of tension in the world. This is all pre-Israel, by the way. And then they say, and add on to that, now layer on to that China. Big uncertainties, a lot of supply chain disruptions, and so you've got this, this really uh, tension, blackness, uncertainty. And then you look across the ocean. And this is what they tell me. They look across the ocean and they see like a beacon of hope. They see, a, they call it a sea of tranquility. And they're pointing to Ontario. Um, and they say, you're dependable, reliable, predictable, kind of almost boring in a business sense. And that's a, a really good word in a business sense. You know what you're going to get. They love that. Uh, they know the kind of people that they're going to be able to hire. It's high quality people. They know everything about Ontario and they love it. And then they say, and it's safe. It's safe for our employees there. It's safe for our executives to visit. And so, it, you know, we just nod approvingly and you know, take their lead from there and just go. But that, that's hmm. really what it, it is happening around the world right now. You know, every time I go on holiday, when I land at Pearson Airport, I feel the same way. You know, everything is just orderly. It's peaceful. It's nice. I, I, Ontario is great. I think it gets, it's maybe underrated, but that's interesting to hear. I'm curious, when you go out to all these different countries, what sort of businesses are you targeting? Like, who do you want to bring to Ontario? So there's a couple of sectors. Think about this. We stood up an investment agency called Invest Ontario. And after a lot of due diligence, a lot of understanding of the marketplace, we said, Invest Ontario, you're going to invest in three things. You're going to invest in advanced manufacturing, tech, and life sciences. And so when we go out, we follow roughly the same uh, platform. But the EV business, the door is opened a few years ago, and it's going to come slamming shut very, very shortly, because almost everybody around the world is finding a place to land. They're finding a place to put their uh, facility in North America generally. Um, uh, and so that is not going to last much longer. So when I speak to Treasury Board and finance, I tell them, don't worry, guys, you know, it's coming to an end. Six months, nine months tops, we'll be out of this business. I really mean that. We'll have everyone landed here. So, you know, in the last Four years, it's been primarily Korea, Japan, Germany for electric vehicle, batteries, 
components. Um, uh, but that, you know, I, we've hit $27 billion. Reuters in 2019, Reuters said there's going to be $300 billion global EV spend. And zero was coming to Canada. Zero. And we looked at that, very sober look at that. And, you know, this part of the story we talk about today is the how. But, yep. you know, here we are three years later, 27 billion landed. And I will tell you, 2024 will eclipse any other of the three years we've had. That's how much business we have coming to us in 2024. Uh, and that'll be sort of the end of the EV business. Um, but Bloomberg has announced now that, um, that Canada, which in automotive is primarily Ontario, is now the number two global supplier of EVs worldwide, only after China. That's the amazing turnaround that we've seen. I know that we want to tease apart uh, the EV investments and announcements and what all those mean, but I think it could be helpful to kind of tease apart what uh, the collaboration looks like between like provincial and federal governments, especially when you talk about investments like this, but maybe just more broadly, like how are your priorities aligned and maybe how are they misaligned or different? At the end of the day, I would say both the federal government, the provincial government, well, we want what's best for the people of Canada and in our case, people of Ontario. How we get there might be different. Where we align for sure is on economic development. There's no question about that. Myself, Minister Champagne, we text each other constantly. Sometimes we have a uh, triangle with the premier as well in our texts. A group chat. Yep, we, we, we do that, right? We, yeah, a group of three. Um, but uh, certainly, uh, Francois and I, uh, we're absolutely on the same page. At least we have been to date. Um, you know, we'll see where all of that takes us in 2024, as long as the feds are still interested in growing the economy uh, and proceeding with electric vehicle expansion as as we certainly see, they want electric vehicles on the road. We want them to be made uh, in Canada, and we want them to be made, obviously, where in Ontario, or the only place that makes uh, automobile in Canada. Um, you know, we were absolutely aligned uh, from a uh, environment perspective on making green steel in Ontario, taking um, Algoma and taking Defasco off of coal and putting them into an electric arc furnace scenario. Half a billion dollars each we invested. We're aligned in that. It's going to take a million cars off the road. Think about when, when you have uh, an electric vehicle made in the States. First of all, the battery comes from Kentucky. It's 6% clean energy. That's disgusting. <laughs> you know, it's an electric vehicle. You think you have this moral compass driving an electric mm. vehicle. If it's made in the States, and, they, and primarily they are uh, in North America right now, Six uh, percent. If, if the battery's from Indiana, it's seven percent clean energy. Um, uh, your car assembled in southwestern, uh, southeastern U.S., Chattanooga, or somewhere in there, eighteen percent clean energy. That, that, that's it. So, and the steel is from coal-powered furnaces. So you've got <laughs> not a very clean car. You parallel that now to what we're going to be building here in Canada and already rolled up the assembly line in uh, Ingersoll for, for GM, you have a car whose battery will be 100% clean energy. The shell will be assembled, the car will be assembled with 94% clean energy, and you've got green steel. I mean, that's an electric vehicle. That's a clean, green electric vehicle versus the stuff that's coming out of the States. So we agree on that uh, with the Feds. Yeah, since we're on the topic of 
EVs. Why don't we dig into that a little bit more? So I think the province, and you can correct me if I've got the numbers here wrong, but the last I read, the province was putting $5 billion into the Stellantis uh, Nexstar plant, and then there was several more billion for the VW battery plant in St. Thomas. So those are big sums. Uh, what's the thinking behind that? Why is that worth the money? So I don't want to sound like I'm correcting you, but it's... No, please do. Uh, well, here, here are the facts, right? There's been a lot of spin on this out there by all kinds of people, but let, let, let me just tell you. It's Stellantis put $5 billion into the battery plant, not the, not the province or the feds. I'll, I'll get to our contribution in a second. But Stellantis has invested $5 billion. VW has invested $7 billion. This is of their own cash. Uh, in the Stellantis deal, the province and the feds each put $500 million into it as cap, CapEx. In the VW deal, the province and the feds are around the same. Actually, the province is a little more than the feds in that one. Some other deals, the feds are a bit more than us. But we're at the end of the day, when the, all comes out in the wash, it's about 50-50. We go into these deals. That's the CapEx. Those were the deals. Done. Then um, uh, Stellantis was saying to the, to the feds, look, guys, um, this Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S., uh, this has this is serious uh, uh, dollar value to us. You're going to have to match it, and that was precipitated by Minister Freeland saying in last year's so a year ago fall economic statement, we're going to do something about the IRA for you car companies. So it came time for Stellantis. You know, it was a make or break moment. You know, they're already in the ground. They've spent X dollars, but it's now they're really going to get in the ground. So before they did that, they said to the feds, what are you doing for us? What you said, you're going to do something. What is it? And so that precipitated the discussion. The feds came back and said, yep, we're going to match the IRA, but it's not cash out. Nobody's writing a check to these people for that money. It's a tax credit based on their production. So, you know, when they say, oh my God, you've invested, you know, 13 billion or 15 billion in Stellantis. What could you have done with that money? Well, nothing. We, we don't have, there is no money being written to them. So think of it this way. I'll use Volkswagen as the example. They come here, they invest $7 billion in, in the building that they're building. By the way, that building is 1.6 kilometers long by one kilometer wide. It's 16 million square feet. It is wow. the, it will be, the fourth largest building on planet Earth, here down the highway in St. Thomas, Ontario, Canada. That wow. the scope of this thing, right? So it's seven billion. So they put seven billion in. We put five hundred million in. The feds put five hundred million, approximately. They hire three thousand people. They're hiring thousands to build the building, but they'll hire three thousand people to operate the facility, and they don't pay taxes for about 10 years. It, that's the tax credit they get. So if they don't come, you get no money. If they do come, they put $7 billion in the ground, you get 3,000 people working, and in 10 years, you get your normal taxes. So that's the deal. I do that deal every day. I would do 100 of those deals. We're not out that money. Mm. If they're not here, we get nothing. If they're here, we get paid in 10 years. 
It, it's simple. And it's the same deal with, with Stellantis. It's exactly the same thing. Their, their number is higher because they're going to start producing batteries earlier than VW. So their number might be 15 billion, but it's not a check. They're not getting money from us. They're getting to hold back that tax payment. And that's right, no right. different, by the way, than what the municipality is doing, the municipality to help lure these. This is table stakes now in this game uh, of multi-billions. There's no building permit, no development charge, and they're deferring their municipal taxes for five years or whatever that they worked out with the municipality. It's the same thing. Municipality feels the same way. We, you know, we're not going to get any money today, but we're sure going to get tons tomorrow. So in any case, we've attracted to Ontario these large automakers and their building factories and going to hire thousands and thousands of people. And there are some concerns that Ontario might not have the right talent to support these investments in terms of the highly skilled um, expertise that they require. And, and I'm wondering how, um, you know, as as the minister in charge of, you know, economic development and, and making sure that these uh, jobs are created, but also filled, how do you approach kind of making that gap smaller between kind of these big investments being made and then the talent that's needs to be available to actually execute on these ambitions? Yeah, I, look, I think we're in great shape. Um, I have to say, uh, what, one of the um, ECDEV pieces that we used in attracting these companies was the Toyota example. Um, Toyota was named the number one auto plant in the world by J.D. Power. Not the number one Toyota plant, the number one auto plant in the world. That, I mean, think of all the thousands of plants there are. The best of the best of the best is right here in Ontario. That tells, that told Volkswagen, that told Nexstar, Stellantis uh, LG, that we know how to make things here and that we have made things here for 100 years, plus autos anyway. Um, that, that's part of the story. The second part of the story is that we are graduating 65,000 STEM grads every single year. We have 24 uh, college and university programs designed specifically for auto, and we graduate 65,000 STEM grads. Last year, we had over 500,000 immigrants come to Ontario. They came here to look, look for work. So our message is, yes, we've seen 700 thousand men and women get a job since, you know, the, in the last five years. Uh, but we've got 500,000 immigrants a year coming in. We've got lots of people for you. So keep bringing, keep, keep bringing the companies here. We'll be there for you. We put a, more than a billion dollars in three years into skilled trades development. So not only will you have the auto workers, you're going to have the workers in the other fields. You know, I live in North Bay. Um, at Canada College in North Bay, we have we pay tuition, 100% of the tuition for nurse practitioner or a, a, para, a paramedic for two years and their books. We pay for carpentry program, your tuition. We pay for police constables, tuition. We pay for electricians, tuition. This is all this billion dollars that we're investing to make sure we have the people to do the things that we need done in Ontario, not just build the cars. It, it seems like there's, and the clean tech is a good example, I think, a bigger emphasis over the past few years on an industrial strategy, you know, purposeful interventions by 
governments at various levels to build up certain industries. And you named a few at the outset, advanced manufacturing and so on. That seems to have changed from, say, two decades ago. And maybe you disagree with the the premise, but it seemed like government had a more laissez-faire attitude towards these things. Do you think that the role of government in directing the economy and shaping the economy has changed over the time since you've been in politics? And why might that be? Um, I'm not sure that the role changed, but I'm sure the outcome changed. I'm sure the direction changed. I think, uh, again, I'm from North Bay. So we have a crown agency that's been there for 120 years called Ontario Northland. Now, it was designed to open up the economy of the North 100 and some years ago. So we had, had a rail line there, passenger train from uh, Union Station to Timmins. We had an airline called Norantair, all under Ontario Northland. We had uh, Star Transfer uh, trucks. We had uh, Ontario Northland Telecommunications. They, they put the phone system in because nobody else would truck materials up north. It was too expensive, too far to go for, you know, the buck 75 you got. Nobody else would fly inter-communities. Nobody else would put a telephone, put telephone lines all the way up north. But we had boats, the chief commander that went across Lake Nipissing to bring food into Dokis. Well, eventually a road was built into Dokis. So we're out of the boat business, sold the boats. Um, previous government stopped the train from running, the passenger rail from running to, there is no more passenger rail to the north. We're, we're bringing that back, by the way. Uh, Star Transfer was sold because there's all kinds of transport companies now. Uh, the airline was dissolved because small airlines were built up. So I think the important role of government is to, is to play that role when nobody else will. Hmm. Um, so there's no more Ontario Northland phone book and tomogamy or Cochrane, who's now, you know, Bell and Rogers and everybody else. So we don't need that anymore. And I think that was the evolution that, that we saw. You, you need to be there when you need to be there, the people. So what we have seen, though, is governments sh shifting the priority of what we should be doing with the economy. And we believe in Ontario, we have the economic, economic engine. We know how to make things here, but we didn't in the last 15 years. We didn't. We stopped making things here. And the direction of the government was, according to their own economic uh, annual economic report, was to move us out of manufacturing because it was dirty and into service sector because it's clean. But that cost us 300,000 manufacturing jobs. And so we've stopped that, turned that around. So yeah, there is direction from a government. So you know, I, I, I agree that we changed the direction, but I think governments have always been in the, doing the directing. Hmm. Do you see parallels? Just as you were talking about it, it occurred to me, maybe there are some parallels between that experience with the development of some of these sectors in the North and the development of clean tech today. Do you think government is playing a similar role when it comes to building these battery plants, these EV plants, and laying the foundations for that? Uh, yeah, I, it was, the motivation was different. Um, it was motivated by the fact that governments around the world, including our own federal government, are saying EV mandate. By 2030, you're going to have, you know, 35%. By 2040, you're going to have whatever it is around the world, 75%, some are 100%. 
well, we were going to be in trouble in Ontario. We have 100,000 men and women who went to work every day making uh, internal combustion engine cars. They're not going to be made here anymore. And none of the companies in Ontario had a further mandate after ICE vehicles. That would be 100,000 people out of work and 700 parts makers closed, 500 tool and die and mold makers, 400 connected and autonomous. They might survive, but nonetheless, this is a big impact. So it was a conscious decision. All right, we're in the EV business. What do we do? What do we have to do? So we decided we'll start with the EVs themselves, Ford, Stellantis, GM. Make EVs here, please. Um, Toyota, Honda, they're making hybrids right now. So we solidified that. All right, we want battery companies next. They're big. A lot of people. Landed two. Landed the biggest one, the Gigafactory of Volkswagen. Um, now we need the six components that go into a battery. That's We're going to stop there. We want those six components. We want the, the cathode. That's Umicore in Loyalist. We want anode. We want a separator. It's the piece of film that goes between them. We want um, copper foil. We want lithium hydroxide. We want electrolyte. Those are words, but each of those is a multi-billion dollar company. A separator company will be three and a half billion dollar plant. The Umicore cathode is 2.8 billion. So there's six of those coming. And then we're going to stop that. Yeah, well, we want more. We want companies to come, but we're going to stop the the investment. That's right. that's that's the level we're going to drop. I'm wondering if any of like the mechanisms have changed. And maybe uh, we can get to this by asking you a very broad, high-level question is like, what are the the levers kind of at that the province can pull? when it wants to attract a, a business or, or st stimulate the economy. We've talked a little bit about how, you know, we've talked about wa waiving permits. We've talked about giving tax breaks. Like, what are all the things that you have in front of you that you can consider when you want to attract a business in Ontario or you want to promote an existing business within the province? Well, you hit the nail on the head with the question, levers that you can pull. I use that in almost every day in my speeches. So I say that when we made the decision we're going to get in the EV business in a big way, uh, the premier, we showed him literally the tape of Sergio Marchionne, who was the then chair of Fiat Chrysler, uh, speaking with former Premier Wynne when she was, there were a lot of auto companies leaving Ontario at the time, and she was musing out loud on a stage in Windsor, well, are you going to expand Chrysler? And he looked at her rather quizzled, and he was very polite, and he said, you know, this is not exactly the cheapest jurisdiction in which to do business. And she pushed a little harder, and he said, well, I'll be blunt. If you want us to be here, you've got to lower the cost of doing business. And we showed that to the premier. He said, all right, what do we do? And I used the expression. So we began, we pulled on every lever, and the first lever was WSIB, our workers' compensation. We looked at it because it's a big cost to business, and we studied it that it, is, it was so overstuffed with cash, um, far more than their legal requirement, far more than any moral requirement. So we said we're going to cut WSIB premiums without touching the benefits in by 50% in half. That is $2.5 billion in annual savings to companies in Ontario. That's big. That's big for auto as well. Then we put in what's called an accelerated capital cost allowance. And that is where you can write off your new equipment in year. That's a billion dollar savings. Then we reduced 
hydro rates for industrial and commercial by 15% average. That's a billion three. And we didn't go ahead with the previous government's scheduled tax increases, 465 million. Now, these are annual, by the way. And the list goes on and on and on. It's $8 billion a year. All the levers we pulled that we lowered our revenue, we lowered the cost of doing business by $8 billion a year, then went back out to the market and said, you asked us, here's what we got. I'm, I'm curious like how that conversation goes down when you sit down to do the budget. And forgive me for just the naive question, but like, how does that conversation go, go down when you're like, we're going to lower revenues by $8 billion? What is the reaction from people that are sitting around the table? Okay. I'm not being political when I say this, but conservatives um, have a philosophy that lower costs equals higher revenue. So that's exactly what happened. So when you read my book that will come out when I'm done my term, <laughs> terms in office, terms plural, um, it's going to be about uh, the, the proven, uh, not experiment, but the proven science of lowering costs. So we lowered our intake by $8 billion a year. So when we came into, the, when we came into office, our revenue was $154 billion annually. Today, it is $194 billion. So it's up $40 billion annually because the policies that we put in by lowering the cost of doing business, companies expanded. We went and, and provided the, the, the climate, the business climate, 700,000 more people work today than did the day we got elected. That's tax revenue from 700,000 people. All of those companies that expanded, even though the tax rate is now the same or lower, actually, the tax revenue is higher because these companies are doing so well. They're flourishing. That's, the, that's, the, that's, a, that's our philosophy. Lower taxes equals higher revenue. We're going to need a separate episode just to talk about the budget. <laughs> Don't yeah, pack the right. mathematics, but we'll stick to the we'll economy the with you. <laughs> A lot of the things you're talking about involve the province and the federal government. You know, economic development is something that both uh, levels of government are involved in. I'm curious if you could wave a wand and change one policy or obstacle or barrier that you encounter that's imposed by the federal government in some way, what would that be? Carbon tax comes up every day. You know, we're dealing overseas, or we're de especially when we're dealing in the States. They don't have a carbon tax. They have no idea what we're talking about. All they know is it's a new line item on their budget that they have to add. Um, and, and that, quite simply, uh, is the one uh, truly bad uh, moment that we have with businesses when we have to sit and explain that there's a, uh, there's a tax on everything that goes to the federal government. And, you know, we could debate that for a long time, but it, it, it does come up as the one obstacle because it's a tax on everything from a farm to a family to a business. Mr. Vic Fideli, thank you for joining us on Free Lunch. This was great. Anytime. Right. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks, Sarah. Well, that was a fascinating conversation with Minister Vic Fideli. A good way to round out what has become our series on industrial policy. Taylor, what were your thoughts on our conversation? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to hear from someone who is involved in that every single day and just sort of the practical considerations and what he hears from businesses who are making these decisions about where to 
invest. Uh, you know, I think when you lay it all out, it is impressive that Ontario has attracted such large investments. Okay, but what hasn't made its way into the headlines is when he said, okay, eight, nine months, we're done. And that True. we're just done investing in EVs. That's, like that was it. That's a great, that's a great one. Just like a quick push into EVs. Like that's how, that's how quickly things are moving now. But that was interesting yeah. too. It's like, yeah, we, we set up the foundation and then we're just going to back away yeah. and, you know, watch these companies do their things over the next, next decade or, or so, hopefully longer. Yeah. And also maybe a bit of a preview of some of the other sectors that they're trying to build up. You know, he talked about the six components that go into batteries. Um, you know, it's interesting to see the, like a fully fleshed out strategy like that come together in real world investments. Yeah. I'm still good. I want to circle back to the finances and how that all breaks down. And we will have to bring on maybe the finance minister if they say yes to, <laughs> to break down the Ontario budget specifically, but it is, it is fascinating to, to, to hear about, um, we called them levers in the conversation. We can call them levers now, but just like kind of like the toolkit that ministers have like at their, at their disposal, like they can get really creative with some of the things that they put forward, whether it's like expediting a permit or whether it is, um, you know, offering kickbacks or incentives. Like it's just, there's so many creative ways. Kickbacks is probably not the preferred Term that oh my god did i just say that signs on it. no oh my gosh i did not i definitely meant incentives one thing i would have liked to get more into is how the ira uh you know we ran out of time but how the ira changed the conversations he was having because it sounded like they had deals with these companies set up and then the inflation reduction act happened and they said well look uh you know we got to renegotiate because we just got a much better offer from the U.S., uh, so I don't know. I'd be curious to see like how that how that plays out. Because I think that there, you could get this dynamic if there's not cooperation of like a race to the bottom, right? Of giving more and more and more incentives for companies to set up shop. And I'm sure that's not something that anyone something that we should probably try to avoid. And like, how do they go about avoiding that? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a lot of ways to to tease this apart. But I just want to know, like, okay, if it's EVs today, like, what's the industry of of tomorrow? Mm. Like, what are we going to be seeing massive investments in in the following year? And I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that now they kind of just have a playbook for just really pursuing um, big companies to set up shop. And I just wonder how and if they're going to use that down the line again. Yeah. Okay, well, should we leave it there? I think so. All right, well, this has been another episode of Free Lunch by the Peak. If you want more episodes like this, you can subscribe to the podcast by searching Free Lunch by the Peak wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a rate and review on Apple or Spotify. And thank you to Minister Fideli for joining us. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.